The views expressed on this podcast are those of the participants, not of Reuters News. Up next, we're discussing Tesco's battle with Kraft Heinz and China's economic cracks. Welcome back to The Views Room, the podcast from Reuters Breaking Views, where columnists from around the world talk about the big stories of the week. I'm your host, Amy Donlan, coming to you from London. A food fight is breaking out between Kraft Heinz and Tesco. Britain's largest grocer has pulled items like Heinz ketchup and baked beans off its shelves over what it describes as unjustifiable price rises. But while this strategy may go down well with customers, Tesco's decision will diminish its variety. That is its main competitive edge over Amazon.com and discounters like Aldi and Lidl. And if its shelves start to look like its cheaper rivals, it may lose some of its 27% market share. Also, trouble in China's Henan province may be more widespread. The $900 billion economy appeared to be doing well when it released economic data in May. But on the ground, bank depositors have been unable to access cash and real estate is looking wobbly. The province is also using COVID-19 tracking apps to silence complaints. With fresh lockdowns and a war in Ukraine, President Xi Jinping's ambitious target of 5.5% GDP growth in 2022 may only be possible if its provinces do their part to plump up their figures. First, Peter Tal Larson and I chat about UK grocer Tesco's battle with consumer giant Kraft Heinz. Next, Yao and Chen in Hong Kong talks to Pete Sweeney about China's economic woes. I'm Peter Farlarson, Global Editor of Breaking Views, and talking to Amy Donlan. Welcome back, Amy. Thanks, Peter. So we're talking this week about a food fight over baked beans and ketchup and other yummy items made by Kraft Heinz, which are disappearing from the shelves of supermarkets in the UK. Tell us what this is about. So this is basically a story about inflation. So Kraft Heinz have very large input costs at the moment. Their staff costs are going up, uh, running their manufacturing sites, energy bills, like many, many companies. So behind the scenes, it looks like there has been a sort of fight over how much they're going to charge Tesco to buy these products and put them on their shelves. And Tesco has come out and said, we are not going to pay what you're asking us to pay. We think this is we think this is way too much. And so they have pulled these items, so your baked beans, your Heinz ketchup, your soup, you know, these items that actually a lot of people would buy and certainly people might buy if they were trying to reduce their grocery bills. They have been pulled from the shelves and Tesco has basically said not to worry. We have plenty of other brands and we have our own food that we can sell you with our own label on it. So it's not that you can't buy ketchup and baked beans. You just can't buy this brand. Yeah, I mean, I have to confess, even though I've lived in the UK off and on for, uh, you know, uh, a long time, I can't stand baked beans. So I'm not sure that I would <laughs> notice that Heinz baked beans had disappeared from the supermarket shelves. But I do have to say, it, it does remind me, it does feel like there have been similar spats in the past. Is this kind of a regular sort of thing where yeah where the supermarkets and the suppliers sort of face off against each other absolutely yes and they they don't often break cover about about them they're just kind of going on in the background 
And what we saw before was around basically after Brexit, there was a fight between Tesco and Unilever about a product called Marmite. And again, Tesco was pushing back and saying, no, this is too much. And a big spat kind of came out. But I think that the reason you often see Tesco in the UK doing this is Tesco is the biggest grocer. It has 27% market share. And so it can kind of flex its muscles with these companies and say, you want to be on our shelves, you want all this access to all of these customers, then we're not going to pay you these extortionate fees, what they would view as extortionate. Yeah, I see. So, but obviously it's not great for um, supermarkets in terms of, you know, offering a wide choice. And I guess if people, if customers go in and sort of expect to be able to pick up these these items that they would normally expect to see in the supermarket and they're not there, I guess potentially they might go elsewhere. Absolutely. I mean, one of the one of the issues that I think that this presents for for a grocer like Tesco is so about 50 percent of the food that Tesco sells is it's labeled goods. So that would be Heinz, Coca-Cola, you know, branded goods that it can't make itself. And then the rest is sort of what they call white label, which is its own goods. And the the alternative to that kind of offering is Aldi and Lidl, which tend to have about 10 to 15 percent labeled goods. So ma- mainly white label goods. And people go and these, there because these just explain a, a sort of European uh, sort of discount brands that have grown very quickly across, very quick. across Europe and also in the UK over the last what, 10, 15 years or something. Absolutely. But one of the downsides, mm-hmm. Aldi and Lidl, if you are uh, if you are an avid supermarket shopper like I am, is they don't have the variety. So you will often go there, but you may need to go somewhere else to get the rest of your shopping. But I think the danger for Tesco is if it starts to look like an Aldi or Lidl in that it doesn't have what you needed to have, then what you might see is customers say, well, why don't I just go to Aldi and Lidl? And maybe I'll go to actually one of the other grocers that's not in this fight. Uh, And what we saw this week was Sainsbury's, which is the second biggest grocer in the UK, basically saying that they weren't getting into this fight and that they were prioritizing investing in kind of taking up some of this slack and some of this, this sort of price pain. But there is a reason why I think Tesco will think that companies like Kraft can take more than they can, and that's down to profit margins. So the operating profit margins of Kraft Heinz is about 20%. And for a grocer like Tesco, it's about 4 or 5%. So there is a huge gulf, and you can definitely understand why Tesco is saying you can take more pain than we can. We're already operating on a very, very thin margin, and prices are going up across the board for us as well. So yes, it will be kind of interesting to see how this this goes along. But but actually, funnily enough, we've now seen today that Tesco's in another fight with a cat food producer, again saying that the prices are just just too high. Right. Well, I guess with inflation sort of heading into double digits in the UK and and rising in other places, we're going to see more of these kind of disputes. So, uh, yeah. Amy. Thanks very much. And I'm sure this is a topic that we will return to in the future. Brilliant. Thanks, Peter. Hello, everyone. I'm Pete Sweeney. I'm uh, sitting here in Hong Kong chatting with our China columnist, Chen Yawen. We're talking about a particular province in China called Hunan province. Those not familiar, it's in the center of the country, home to 100 million people. It's got $900 billion GDP, slightly smaller than the Netherlands. And it's having some economic issues. Uh, Yawan, can you just first like walk us through what is happening in Hunan and why it's generated so many headlines over the past couple of years? Sure. Thanks, Pete. Um, so 
in Henan, there are quite a few interesting things going on. For one, there are um, weather-wise, they, they already had floods, which were really bad last year, and now they're experiencing a heat wave. Financially, the rural banks are having potentially issues giving the deposits the money back to them. And because of that, I think authorities have been using really uh, sketchy COVID tracking technologies to prevent these people from protesting. At the same time, I think the property sector is also struggling. We've seen headlines about their biggest property developer, you know, basically us asking for garlic and wheat for part of the down payments because demand is so bad. And well, well, hold on a second. So what, what, what exactly are they asking for? They want garlic and wheat? Yeah, because Henan is traditionally a big rural province. Agriculture is a big thing. It's at the smallest county level, like going on into the rural heartlands where they're trying to find demand. So they're encouraging farmers to just give them tons of wheat or garlic, and which could be kind of translate into cash for down payment. I see. Okay. So these are for house down payments and people are showing up with bushels of physical agricultural commodities. Okay. That, that doesn't sound very good. I know after the floods last year, I mean, the, the Hunan police state, for example, is, is kind of like something people is catching people's eyes. Like right. after the floods, um, that generated a bunch of negative coverage, including the international media and Hunan put out this uh, a tender for um, these surveillance tools that would help them identify reporters going in and out in Hunan. And now we've got this thing where apparently they are manipulating the health code tracking app that China uses, you know, to try and contain the virus to stop protesters from coming and trying to find their find their missing money. Why, why Hunan? Why all is it so bad? Place. <laughs> yeah, I I think first of all it has nearly 100 million people. China's 1.4 billion people in total, and that's like one in 14 is Hunanese. <laughs> that's a huge sample size. That's probably part of the reason. The other argument I guess I would make is that I think the economy is probably a lot worse than the headline uh, indicators are implying. So if you look at Hunan's economic indicators, they've been doing pretty well, uh, especially in recent months when, uh, you know, even the Statistics Bureau was like, we've done, we've outperformed national average and several indicators, including like industrial output, fixed asset investment were all much better than the, nat- the national figures. But at the same they time- They also aspire to outgrow. I mean, in your piece, you note they, they aspire to grow 7% right. this year, which is faster yeah. than the national average as well. And <laughs> a lot a of people think the national average is- the national target is completely unrealistic now that you've got these lockdowns and and war in Ukraine and and all and potential recessions. I mean, maybe trading partners and these guys are still aiming aiming for seven percent. I was just going to say, what does Hanan tell us about the rest of the country? Well, those targets, first of all, they're all set to be like local or national. They're all set before April, right? Like the Hanan target was set in January, and the national figure was set during the national parliament meeting in, in March, and that was all because before lockdowns became really bad in April, in in May. I think there is a conflict here where policymakers are really pushing for the target to be delivered and they're worried about fixed statistics. And so you have this conflict between national target, local implementation and the local target itself as well. So I I think think it's, it's why we're seeing outlandish headlines like, you know, Hunan officials are using COVID tracking tools to kind of block people from 
protesting economic crisis. And it's likely we're going to see more more of that coming. These people who are protesting a rural bank run, like rural banks are known to be in trouble and in absolute terms that the financial figures involved aren't that big. You know, these housing protests, like local officials around the country have figured out how to prevent, I mean, major part of their career aspirations involves keeping down protests about when things go badly with property developments, which has been happening for a while. So while that's worrying, like you say, Hanan is, is a big place and it's unsurprising we have those things there. They happen elsewhere as well. But I mean, you also noted that they've they've been cracked down on, more to your point, for falsifying, outright falsifying economic statistics. And, and there was a case where they were um, forcing local companies to over-report revenue and profit. How much that's of that do you think main... is going on? That's actually the main way how local authorities fake data these days, because the central government has already established their own central reporting system so that they can kind of like compare notes with the local reporting. So this is absolutely more blatant, but I think it's it's harder for the central authorities to track by just going directly to the companies and say, hey, you just inflate your figures. I thought it was striking. You know, like you said, that China is trying to achieve these two things. They want to hit this growth target that looks unrealistic. You know, these local governments are under pressure. A lot of them, you know, especially the poor areas, have strained budgets already. Um, You know, they suffer particularly from real estate slowdown, which provides a bunch of government revenue. And they're, you know, as which we're seeing in Hunan, is struggling to get developers to finish incomplete projects because they're so short on cash. Presumably, that's where the wheat and garlic. down payments are related to. But, um, you know, they, they, they're under this pressure to, to deliver. And, and one way for them to do it is is just by kind of faking it. Yeah, there, there is a lot of incentive, contrary to what outsiders might think, for Beijing to crack down on this. It's just at the same time, they've, they've also set the bar very high to keep giving local officials this incentive to fake data or, you know, mis- abuse their power, now enabled by very abusive tag due to COVID control. All right. Well, thanks for talking to me, Yawan. Hope hope things get better in Hanan. You too. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast was produced by Oliver Tashlich in London. Subscribe to The Views Room and our sister podcast, The Exchange, on a cast, megaphone, or wherever you like to listen. Check out our latest stories and many others at breakingviews.com and on Twitter, where our handle is at breakingviews.